Okay. Huzzah. So, welcome to another episode of PH Divas. I'm Zion Yao. And this is Liz Wayne. And this is our next episode of PH Divas Podcast. Where we're a podcast about academia, culture, and social justice across the STEM humanities divide. That's right. We're fans of lipstick and we like our PhDs equally well. <laughs> Guys, we're working on a new tagline and I keep getting it wrong, but I think it comes out pizzazz every single time. Mm-hmm. In either case, we have a special guest with us today. Her name is Sarah McSlurley. She is author of The Super Cool Scientist and director of the Green Street Teaching and Learning Center at Wesleyan University. Welcome, Sarah. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. It's so awesome that we finally got to connect. Well, for the second time. Right. <laughs> but nonetheless, very awesome to have you on the podcast. And we're hoping that you can also tell us about the other super cool project that you're doing called Super Cool Scientist. And we're also going to hear about your experiences as a STEM enthusiast. So where should we start? Maybe why with don't the you Kickstarter? tell us about yourself and what you do, okay. or why you do what you do. And then get to the Kickstarter. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what I do at the Green Street Teaching and Learning Center is it's a community-based center based out of the university. So the idea is really to find ways for people on campus, whether it's faculty, staff, or students, to interact with a broader um, group within the community, right? So trying to get folks to really engage in their their college experience and where they're living. And so we have a lot of programming that's for kids. So we have a big after-school program, which is why my day was a little busy today. Um, <laughs> and classes for them, we have arts classes, dance classes, and then math and science classes too. So the kids have a lot of choices for what they can take. And then we also do um, some teacher professional development in math and science too. So it's really a place where art, math, and science kind of come together to really figure out how we can really um, sort of really have fun with all those things and not have to think of them so separately. And it's, it's I think that's such a fantastic point, like that these things complement each other and probably, and provide a richer learning environment for, for students of all ages. Right. Right. And it's really, because when you break it down, right, it's really all about exploring things and discovery and how do you find solutions to problems, right? Whether it's all about your creativity, whether you're doing science or whether you're doing research for a different type of project. So it's all kind of the same thing when you really break it down to the core. Yeah, that's really exciting. So tell us how you came up with the idea for Super Cool Scientist. Well, um, so the idea for the Super Cool Scientist coloring book is kind of twofold. Um, On the one hand, even though we do some science stuff here at Green Street, um, with my background in science, I really wanted to do a project outside of work that brought more science into my life just to kind of recharge a little bit. Um, So that was kind of part one in trying to find a way to do that. Um, And then the other side of it is a little over a year ago, I um, started to have anxiety attacks. So I was myself trying to figure out ways that I could deal with that a little bit better. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's a variety of things that work, but coloring is one of those things that I discovered kind of worked for me. Um, Kind of before it was cool. And and that came (laughs) in because my mom um, was a double major in psychology and sociology when she was in college. And she was like, oh, we talked about this when I was in school. And she's like, maybe you should try that. So, um, so I did. The anxiety attacks or painting? Oh, the the coloring for like a stress reliever. So um, I was like, oh, you know, moms always have the right answer. So, so mm-hmm. that was, um, so I discovered that that worked for me. So I was like, you know, what if I can combine these two things, right? And sort of come up with something that really celebrates um, amazing women doing work in science and technology 
and then also is something that brings the coloring side into it. And it turns out that something like that didn't really exist. So, you know, people have really been able to get behind the project, and that's been really exciting. Yeah, I, I think that's such an awesome idea of thinking about coloring. And I think when I first heard about the project, I thought about kids being able to color, and then I thought, wait, I want to color too. Yeah. Like, I think it's going to be so, so fun and therapeutic. Um, and we have to mention that Liz is actually one of the scientists that's right. featured Yay. in the coloring book. So and Liz will be able to color so fabulous. Featured. And all of you guys listening, um, donate to the Kickstarter. And you could have a chance to, I guess, give Liz whatever lip color, lipstick <laughs> color you think would be best for her. <laughs> this is true. I'm very excited about my picture and being able to show it to people. Um, so how did you go about picking um, scientists or other women to be in the coloring So book? it was kind of a, a mix of different things. It really started with, um, you know, I went into it knowing I wanted the people I had, the whole group, to really represent a diverse group of fields of different types of science and technology, mm-hmm. and then also just a really dynamic group of women from all different types of backgrounds who were not, you know, the we're not, none of us are just our jobs, right? So really trying to find people where it's like, you're a scientist and an entrepreneur, or you're a scientist and an artist, or a scientist and a mom, like, you know, there's all these other aspects to our life. So really trying to include that. So it kind of started with people who were role models for me. Um, So that's why there's a couple of marine scientists in the book. Um, So that was kind of how it started. And then I was thinking, just doing some more research around like, well, I know I want someone in medicine, which is kind of how I found you. And then, you know, I know I want someone who does this field. I still am looking for a mathematician. I haven't quite found the right person yet. So I'm still, you know, so I wanted to make sure it wasn't like everybody in marine science. I wanted to spread that out. And I wanted to make sure I got to feature um, different ages. And I wanted to make sure I had women of color represented. And so I really want it to be a little bit for everybody, you know, and um So that was, a lot of it was internet research. Um, And then what I did before I worked here was sort of oversee, um, I was the project administrator for a big national science foundation project. Um, It was called the EPSCOR program. Let's see if I remember it. The um, Experimental Program to Stimulate Competitive Research. NSF likes really long acronyms. Um, But so basically the idea is, states that don't normally get that much research funding federally are uh, eligible for applying for this funding from NSF. And I think there's about 30 states across the country that actually have programs in different areas. And so I was in Rhode Island. Our focus was marine science. But we did annual meetings where we got to meet people from across the country and what their different projects were. So sometimes if I knew I was looking for a certain field, I reached out to some of those people who I'm still friends with. Where I was like, hey, do you know anybody who does this who might be interested in this kind of project? And some of the people I found that way too, which was great. I actually might know a mathematician that uh, I'll have to t- talk to you after it, Sarah. I might actually know someone who does really okay. interesting stuff. Great. Who's in math. <laughs> hey, um, I know. That's how it happens though. Yeah. It's... It's when you least expect. So I think, so the perspective that I take on this as someone in the humanities, um, like I study the history of science and medicine, especially in 19th century America. And so for me, I think it's so interesting that what you're bringing to the table shows such a greater diversity of what it means to be a woman in the sciences. Um, because often I think in popular culture, there's not very many, there's not much like space in the popular imagination for like maybe more than one woman at a time in a particular category. Mm-hmm. And so that, like it ends up only becoming that one person. And what you're show, really showing is that there's such a range, but also that it's not just about these 
like the few rare figures in the past, like um, Ada Lovelace or Mary Curie. But now, like in this present moment, there's so many living women right now who are doing things that are making such rich contributions and are who's, who's such multifaceted people, which I think is really fantastic. And that's part of why I really wanted to focus on women who are currently doing the work. You know, I've had a few people ask me, why not women from history? Um, and maybe that's book two, right? But I think I really wanted, because uh -huh. part of what I wanted to do was, you know, if young people are going through and reading these stories, is really like, I can see myself doing this and giving them the opportunity to do that. And I think just mm -hmm. contextually, it's easier for me, and I'm assuming for other people to relate to people currently doing work in this current context that we live in versus 100 years ago. And, um, and some of the more recent just regular books that have come out um, have really done a good job at highlighting the historical women in science and some of those that are yeah. hidden figures. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> hidden figures, which I'm reading right now. And, um, and there's two other science books, and I'm trying to remember what they're called. I'm embarrassed. I'm going to look it up on Amazon while we're talking. Um, but each one features like 50 different historical women in science. And they're really incredible. Um, I'm really bad with remembering authors' names. So I'm going to so keep asking me questions and I'll look it up and then I'll find it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm also excited that the people in the coloring book are not all wearing lab coats. It really does show the diversity of science jobs you can have. And I think that's really important as well. You can work in science and not be in a right, laboratory. Right. That is very true. And that was part of um, my journey into where I am. Because um, when I was a kid, I thought that I really wanted to go into doing marine biology and that I wanted to be a research scientist. But it was um, – so I took all the AP classes and I did all the extra – extra stuff as a kid and went to school to study marine bio and then I had my first research project and realized well shit I don't really like this um so mm -hmm. and it wasn't that I didn't like all of it it was just that I was watching a lot more of my friends and they seemed a lot more into what they were doing and I was like I don't want to go into a career if I'm really not going to be that into it you know so it wasn't what I expected but I think now I know that you know learning what you don't like is just as important as learning what you do like when you're looking for your jobs. And mm -hmm. and how did you find that that gap? I know for me, and I, a lot of women, I think, and minorities, when you show an interest in math and science, they're so excited and there's so many pipeline programs that it can be hard to break out of that once you realize you probably don't want to do that anymore. I mean, was it? how did you transition from going on a science track to maybe not necessarily... I freaked track. out at first because because no one had told me you can do other things besides research and a lab coat, you know, with a science degree. But there's a lot of things you can do with a science degree that whether it's going into a certain area of science where you just don't have the lab coat piece or there's a lot of work in science communication. There's a lot of work in education and outreach. There's a lot of other ways to use a science background. Um, and I got really lucky. I had some really good mentors in college who helped me figure that out um, and really kind of put me on the outreach track and helped me get some jobs as an undergrad in connecting me to other programs on campus that were doing that kind of work so I could try that out. And it turns out that's that was much more enjoyable for me. So that's kind of how I got on that track a little bit. And then in um, when I was finished my undergrad, I started working for this the NSF program I was talking about earlier. And then I started uh, a master's in business administration at night. And um, 
the internship I did for that program was all based on science communication with one of the programs I'd actually worked with as an undergrad. So that was kind of came full circle, which was pretty cool. You know, a lot of things do end up coming full circle that I've noticed. Like Zion, I know the the fellowship that you're on now has also been part of the funding mechanism you've had for um, your PhD and your your master's, right? Oh, yeah. Well, insofar as like they, they're coming from the same uh, grant funding agency, the right. Social Sciences Humanities Research Council Canada. And I'm sure like this is the case in all disciplines, like success begets more success when you get the grant on the one level, when you go to the next level, it's more likely that you're going to get the other grant type thing because people like to see a track record of it. Mm-hmm. I, I did. I did. So I, um, the <laughs> one that I just finished reading is called Headstrong, 52 Women Who Change Science in the World. And that's by a woman named Rachel mm. Swaby. And, um, and that one was really good. It's kind of divided up by field is kind of how she split it up, um, which is pretty cool. And then the other one that just came in the mail the other day, uh, I haven't read it, but I've seen really good reviews, is called Women in Science, 50 Fearless Pioneers Who Changed the World. And that one is by uh, Rachel Ignoftowski. I'm not sure if I said her last name right, but, um, but that one looks really fun too. So, so there's things out there that do the historical stuff. So there's certainly much more space mm-hmm. for us to tell those stories. Um, you know, but I think sort of changing the narrative, not only for including more historical women, but also we're doing this now and this is really cool. And let's talk about Mm -hmm. that too, you know? So do you see this, your uh, coloring book as a way of painting women into the history of science? I guess it is. I mean, I guess I haven't really thought of it like that. Um, Coloring, crayoning. But I mean, in the stories that go along with it too, right? So the, the book is not just going to be the pictures. It's also going to be the, the bios that I'm writing that will be about the people. So it's kind of a storybook and a coloring book. And I, I have to say that I am not the one drawing the pictures. Um, a book of stick figures would not have looked as good for this. Um, <laughs> her, um, her name is Yvonne Page, who's the illustrator, and she's wonderful. She's, she's done a really good job with the sketches so far. I was wondering, would, would you like to fe- um, tell us a little bit about some of the bios that you're featuring to give us, give our listeners sort of an idea of like the sheer breadth of, um, of the amazing women sure. that you're featuring? So um, one of the women who we're featuring, uh, her name is Courtney Madison, and she studied environmental science, and but she also is a sculptor. So she makes these huge wall size sculptures of... Um, the ceramics that are of coral reefs and really sort of uses her artwork as a way to bring attention to coral conservation. Um, So she's, I like how it brings together the science and the art to kind of push for um, an environmental cause. Um, So we have her. We have a woman named um, Olivia Pavkogiaccia and she is, she's kind of had a really successful Kickstarter too. She's actually still a student at Yale University studying cognitive science. Um, but she started a company called Lab Candy that sells um, kits to girls who are interested in science, young, younger girls for an age group. And it's a kit that's um, goggles that you get to decorate with like rhinestones and stuff. And these really fantastic um, big colorful designs on lab coats for the girls. And then there's also a set of, um, there's an activity book that goes with it. Um, that's a story book that that's pretty cool. So, um, so I'm really excited to feature her cause she's, you know, she's a scientist, but she's also this really amazing entrepreneur 
um, at a really young age, right? So she's doing this really cool stuff. Um, let's see. I love a lab yeah, it's I, I ordered the book. I didn't order the goggles, but um, but that was I think that's just a, a fantastic idea because it's not a white lab coat like you know they're these fan like rainbow color designs which is awesome. And then let's see. So I also have um, Karen Merzako who is a pediatric neurosurgeon, um, and she's actually I think was the first and is still the only woman who is the chair of a neurosurgery department in the country. So she's at the University oh. of Michigan. Um, so she, she's incredible. And she, um, she also happens to have spina bifida. So she's done all of it through that. And, and I'm just amazed that, you know, now that I'm an administrator in higher education, I recognize what kind of work that is. So she's the chair of an apartment, a department. So she's got all of her administrative duties. She still teaches. She still does surgery and she has, and they have grown oh twins. God. So it's like, she's just amazing oh to me, you know, and that's the kind of story I think is important. Um, so, so that's kind of a, a sampling of the, the people that I have who are featured so far. I think we ha we're up to, I think about 16 so far. Um, we're aiming, we were aiming for 20 initially. Um, and then with, since we've already met our first Kickstarter goal, which is great. Um, one of the things Ooh. with our stretch goal is if we meet $15,000, then we're going to add some more scientists to the book. But it, it was really amazing, you know, going into it. I've never done anything like this. So, and I'm not good at asking people for money, even though I'm basically a grant writer by day, but it's different <laughs> when it's your own, your own thing. Um, and mm -hmm. so you kind of, you write this description and you have to make a video, which took me like three days because I'm not super tech savvy. Um, but it was one of those things where once you put it out there, it kind of has a life of its own. And it was really incredible to see the response from people. Um, you know, it met the goal in maybe like the first two weeks. Um, Did you get any feedback? So, yeah, I mean, I got feedback from people who knew me. You know, and then I got some questions from some other people who didn't. And I think I was most surprised by, you know, the feedback from folks who were like, this is such a great project. We really need this. But it wasn't from people I knew. Right. So I guess like I was expecting to hear things from like my mom, like, I, you know, again, moms are awesome. And I knew like mom would make a donation. But um, but the number of pledges from people who I didn't know that started coming in um, made me know even more that like this is a good idea, like this needs to happen, you know. Um, and there's been actually a pretty cool response, not just from the United States, but from some other countries too. So people from Australia and uh, the UK and Canada, quite a few folks have, have showed interest in it, Canada, <laughs> which is awesome. Um, so it's been really, it's been really a good experience, I think. And, um, it could be, yeah. I mean, some of the backers, you know, so once we're done now, now that we've met the goal, which means we get to collect and sort of use all these pledges to really help publish the book, um, will be, uh, some of them will be going to those countries because they're, they've pledged from there. So, so it'll sort of make its way around the world, which is just, it sounds crazy to say that, like it hasn't sunk in that that's the reality of this. Not really. No. I mean, I'm sitting here and, you know, I, I go home in the evenings and I draft some of the bios and this illustrator sends me draft sketches and you know we're talking to the features and stuff but it hasn't sunk in that this is happening yet you know that it, that it happened so quickly I guess yeah I remember you made your the kickstarter so for everyone who's still interested in supporting the kickstarter is running until October 30th October 15th 
And right now, you can't order online, but it, when you, if you support the Kickstarter, you will actually, depending on which level you decide to back, you will get your own copy of the Right, so book. it basically acts yeah. as a pre-order system. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sarah, do you want to maybe get into, like, some of the different levels of donation stuff so people know what they can get? Sure. Or, so, oh, um, awesome the, swag. Most, the most popular um, rewards have been a pledge of $20 gets you a copy of the coloring book, um, which also includes sort of the smaller rewards of some really cool buttons that I had made. Um, everybody's like, can I have one? I'm like, I don't have any more yet. I only ordered one to make sure I liked it. Um, <laughs> and so so that's the, the $20 pledge. Um, and then for $30, I call that one Share the Science. So it's like a book for you and a book for a friend. So you get two for that one plus the, your button. Um, and most of the people who have pledged have done one of those two options. Um, we've had a f- quite a few people who have done um, a pledge of $50, which includes, we're going to make a poster um, that has sort of smaller versions of all the images, but has all the pictures of everybody Ooh. in one place. Um, so the people who pledge 50 get that plus the coloring book and all the things underneath. You can get Liz in different sizes. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's true. But when you say it like that. Hey, okay, fine. And then we've had a couple people, and I was kind of excited for this one where they're a little higher, right? So I wasn't expecting that many of them, but a few people have done it. For for $200, I have a whole class set of books. So someone who pledges that amount can say, oh, I want to send this to my kid's school, but I want the whole class to have it. So that's for a set of 25 sent to a school of your choice. you know, plus the other stuff. Um, and then it was really exciting. The day um, when I got up and I checked my message and Kickstarter was like, you met your goal this morning. Um, it was actually one of the people who had um, made a pledge, had shared this um, with one of her mentors from when she was an undergrad who thought it was great and pledged enough to close out the project, um, which was actually over $700 at the time. And for the $500 level, it was you get to pick someone to be in the book um, because, um, you know, pending their permission and all that stuff. But And he chose her to feature. So now, you know, this woman is going to be featured in the book too, um, which is really, I think that's cool how that happened, you know, that and, and that her mentor got to give that to her. I think that's really great. Yeah, so so that's exciting. Um, but like I said, most of the backers have been, you know, the the level for the one book or for the book for you and book for your friend. But you know, I, I was gonna say that when you were talking about what it felt like to promote your own work, I have to admit that even when I, even though you gave me all the material to start with, <laughs> it also felt really odd. You know, like okay, guys, support this cartoon of right. myself <laughs> that I am in. You know. Mm-hmm. But I also felt very encouraged to get support from my friends, saying how awesome it was, um, even contributing to the to the Kickstarter, and people kind of looking up to me, saying, "Oh, you're you're, you're being a good role model." It's really exciting, and so it kind of elates from my fears that I had about putting myself out there, you know, to be in a coloring book to begin with, but. You know, coming back from your friends and family being like, you know, I'm really proud of you or all these different things like that is really encouraging, especially where it doesn't people do Kickstarters all the time. Like it doesn't seem like it's a big deal. But if you've never done it, it's a little more involved than I thought it was going to be. 
you know, and it's a little scary. And especially talking about, um, you know, I went back and forth on whether or not I wanted to include my personal anxiety piece in it. So like I'm, I was putting that out there to the world too. Um, well, it took, it, it took me a while to decide whether or not I was going to include that part. Um, but you know, it's one of those things where I feel like for kind of, I'm going to back up and change gears for a second. Um, when I was in grad school, um, they did one of the It Gets Better videos. Um, I don't know if you guys remember mm-hmm. those from where it sort of started as... Yeah, from dance. dance yeah, habits. so it started as, you know, anti-bullying for, for LGBT youth. And um, so the University of Rhode Island made one of those. But instead of being like a three-minute YouTube video, they actually made a full-length movie. It was like an hour and a half. Um, that feature. Yeah, yeah, featuring... Um, it was the one of the gay clubs on campus. I don't remember the name of what it was, the LGBT club on campus that put it together. And um, so it was, you know, faculty and students and allies and all these things. And they had put out this, you know, basically an ad for this is what we're doing. If you're interested in being featured, come show up basically to do this audition. Mm -hmm. And that was something too, where I was like, this is really cool. But like, do I want this that public? But then, but I went back to thinking, you know, when I was 13, like, it would have really been cool to see something like this. So, yeah, I'm going to do it. Um, And this was kind of the same thing, where it's like, if I can say it and put it out there with the anxiety stuff, and that helps somebody else somewhere who's doing it that makes them feel a little bit more like it's okay, then, then I think it's worth doing. Yeah, and I think that's, those are both points that like need more support in academia beyond graduate school is that again, mental health is so important and the specific support needed for LGBT students in grad school is something that is often sorely lacking. Uh, We had an episode a couple ago with my friend Meredith um, who came out as trans during um, her time in the PhD and she dealt with like some sexual harassment, like some trans misogyny and administrators didn't even know how to deal with it because they'd never like, yeah, they just Mm -hmm. didn't know what to do. So they couldn't really support her and it, it was really, it was really terrible. Um, yeah, I think yeah. more places are trying to do more about it, but it's one of those things where if people don't have the training and even what the options are to be helpful, you know, so it's it's not just issues of trying to be more inclusive in people's attitudes and stuff. It's actually providing people with the training they need on how to be helpful as far mm-hmm. as like staff and faculty. And it's it's actually um, at URI they had um, they had a, some good groups and they. Um, one of the things they did, I think they called it the safe zone program or something like that, where they, uh, the LGBT center would provide sort of workshops and training for faculty and staff on sort of how to handle some of these things or what the resources were so you could direct students. And, um, and if you went through the training, you got a, a sticker that you could put on your door. So like students knew that you were mm-hmm. approachable for those types of issues. And it was actually, that's actually where I met my wife. So I went to volunteer with the program and she was the grad student running some of those at the time. And that was, that was how that worked. So that was pretty cool. But I think the visibility of, (laughs) the the visibility of who is an ally is important too. Cause like you, it's one of those things where you don't always know someone can relate to you in a certain way, especially when it's not something that's super visible, like your sexuality or like your socioeconomic background or whatever it might be. But that doesn't mean someone else won't understand your experience. But unless they tell you that or there's some indicator, you don't know, you know, so sort of being open about it is really the only way you kind of put yourself out there to be helpful to people, to students. I think that's such a good point. Like I have a number of friends who make sure that they 
they tell their their undergrads that they're first generation, and I, that also makes a huge difference. For example, and it's yeah, an interesting sort of process of like, how does one come out, so to speak, about different forms of like identity that may not be as visible in order to give the type of support to students. I think is is obviously a very fraught conversation, and it takes a certain type of toll on on individuals, but it's obviously very important at the same yeah. time. You know, Zion and I were both GRS. We both worked in residence halls. And I remember my first year there, um, school had just started again. And I was walking in the hallways, and there were a group of students. And um, some of them were transfers. And they were like, hey, what do you want on a Friday night? And I just said, oh, well, there's um, frat parties. There's some events happening on campus somewhere. And then I just kind of, I paused. And then I said, oh, and there are also some LGBT parties at these houses that I'm aware of. And that's really all I knew about it, but I made sure that if I'm going to ex- to say all the options of things that were out there, and for me, that was, it was just a, it was, what, three seconds of saying something, but then after that, people came, this, one of the students came and talked to me, and he said that he felt like he could actually talk to me about how he was coming out, because I actually mentioned LGBT parties as an option for a Friday night event. And that made him feel like he could speak to me about these types of issues. And so that was really powerful for me to see because it, I didn't think twice about it. I, it wasn't like, um, I, did, I, was, I didn't do that with the intent of like, oh, you might be gay, so let me tell you about this. I, you know, it was more like, I need to say all of these things. Right. That's, that's awesome. I think that's, you know, more, the more people do that and know that that's helpful, you know, for people is, I think that's great. And that going back to like the, the, it gets better video. It's, it's nice too, when it comes back and like the person came to talk to you about it after and said how helpful it was, you kind of put stuff out there where like you hope it's helpful, but you never know if you're actually going to hear it. So after we did that video, they had, um, they had a big screening and we went and that was fun. And after the screening, I got an, an email, um, the next day from one of the, the students who I had worked with and was like, you know, watching you sort of tell your story and that like makes me feel like I'm going to be okay. And like, I cried and I was like, Oh my God, that's so cool. Like, but that's, that's why I did it. Like, and I was hoping for that, but you never expect to hear that kind okay. of thing back. So that, that, that was really special. I almost wonder then if like another follow-up project that comes out of the success of super cool scientists could also be one that features queer scientists explicitly. I think that'd be really cool. So what is your vision for the project? You've already met your first goal, and now for the super cool scientist Kickstarter, you're working on your second goal. What is your vision? It's, it's, I don't know. It could be so many things, right? And it's, it's kind of, it's kind of turning into, it's kind of happening as we go. Um, you know, ideally, I think that this is one of several, right? Like, I think that would sort of mm-hmm. be my, if this turns into what I really want it to be, I think it's the first of many books that sort of celebrate scientists of all different kinds. Um, and then, you know, sort of, it's a, this is version one, you know, I think that would be, mm-hmm. that would be the ideal. Um, but I'm going to be thrilled that this one's happening. You know, when I can hold it in my hand, I'm just, I'm going to be so happy about it because I think it's important and it's been a lot of fun too. So it's, that's helped a lot where I, you know, where I was looking for something to kind of recharge that side of that side of me, like this definitely fulfilled that. I'm so happy you were able to find synergy in all the points of your life and have it kind of culminate in a book. 
and I look forward to all the rest of the things you're going to don't, do. Don't make it sound like I'm totally balanced. I don't know that that's totally true, but, but I appreciate that it looks that way. Yes. All the arts and science coming together. And I think, you, did you mention before that your wife is an English yes. PhD? Yeah, my or? wife is an English PhD. So so when we met, yes. um, I was doing my MBA and working with the science program, and she was finishing her PhD in uh, medieval literature. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. So we get the science and humanities talk quite a bit going on at home, which is fun. That is beautiful. Well, I'm super excited to see how this goes. And if you'd like more information on the Super Cool Scientist, you can follow it on Twitter and the P and Facebook, right under the hash, under the at, at Super Cool Scientist or Super Cool. So if so, if you search on Facebook for Super Cool Scientist, you'll find it. You'll find the page. And on Twitter, it's um, it's at Super Cool Sci. Yeah. Yeah. We'll also link both of these things in the episode description. Yes, and the other book references that yeah. Sarah mentioned. Yeah, Hidden Figures, obviously, is going to be, all, we're all eagerly anticipating that. <laughs> amazing cast, uh, uh, like acting cast, and an amazing history. I'm excited. I'm only on chapter one. I just started it, but I love it already. <gasps> yeah, it's in my Amazon, like, to buy cart, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I need to do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think our friend Michelle read the whole thing, and she really liked it. and work at the but... same time. Like, I, I will get, I will procrastinate and not do work. And I'll convince myself that I need to binge read so that I can get it out of my system. So I don't, I can't find this happy medium of like, oh, you know, I'm going to, let's just read a chapter, a few pages, and then just go back. It's like, I read, and then it's like three in the morning. I'm like, oh, I have to get up in three hours. So I tend to hold off on book purchases because I just don't have the, the, the uh, control. I, I think it depends on the book, too. Um like with the hidden figures, you know, it's a story, so I'm going to want to sit for hours and read it. But what was nice right. about the um, the other one that I was talking about by, by Rachel Swabzy, um, you know, that was because each feature was, I don't know, four or five pages. If you only had a couple minutes, like, oh, well, I'm just going to read one and then I can do that and then I can pick it up again. Like, you don't feel like you're, you're missing, you know. Um, yeah. Even though it was it was still kind of addictive, like you still wanted to be like, oh well, what did this next person do? Um, yeah. But it was easier for me to put down and pick back up again. Where some books, I'm a big James Patterson fan too, and I go through those in like two days. So yeah. I, I understand that nothing else gets done. It's hard not to, and there's so many. Yeah. <laughs> I hate when I discover a writer. So they've existed forever, so they have a nice collection, but I just find them because I'm like, oh my god. I need to, there's nothing else important in the world. There's a lot of, at least done half And then nobody's these. heard from you in like two weeks and you know you found a new author you <laughs> liked. Yeah. Yeah. Like I just reread Harry Potter actually this summer and uh, it was it was bad for my research, <laughs> but I reread everything. Well, it's all about finding those little pieces like because sometimes work can be super stressful too. So if reading is one of those things that helps recharge, then it's important to figure out mm -hmm. the time to do that. Yeah. I'm also happy to have passion in my life, passion in other things. I, I find that useful. To re yeah. rejuvenate myself in some other field allows me to be able to go back to the other field. That's what I tell I myself. I like this brings us, yes, yeah, also to the project again, like this sort of meeting, not just of like a good cause, but also like it's about self-care, as mm -hmm. Sarah brought up with her anxiety. Like coloring now has become such, has such a boom because it is such an important, like, like simple activity of self-care and manage to combine it nicely with other things in this case. 
And I remember like you wrote an article recently all about headaches. Oh yes. And yeah, I read I it and I was like, oh, I, it resonated way too much. <laughs> but um, but it, that's you know, and I think especially as you're as you're almost trying to prove yourself, especially as a young person and whatever you're getting into, you know, you, you have, it takes a while to realize how much is too much and then what those things are for you to recharge. Yes. So, you know, you do go through some of those things where looking back, it's like, Oh, well I might've had less headaches if I had figured this out, you know, four years ago, but, um, but it's important to kind of be in touch with what your body's telling you to like, cause there is such a thing as too much mm-hmm. and having to figure out, okay, how do I step back and, kind of regroup on these things yeah. well thanks again Sarah it's been a pleasure talking to you and I look forward to again. yeah this will be great I'm excited thanks again for having me once again this is Liz Wayne this is Zainyao and you could like us on Facebook follow us on Twitter subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud um, we really appreciate um, these little gestures because we just sort of do this in our own free time as busy postdocs on different different sides of the country of the continent rather uh take care look after yourself and check out sarah's amazing kickstarter project and support it Super cool scientist.